0: Hello there and welcome to Defiance. I am your host Peter McCormack and today I have an interview with Ira and Tomiwa, the co-founders of BuyCoins, a Nigerian Bitcoin exchange, and they have been helping protesters campaigning against police brutality in Nigeria, specifically related to the special anti-robbery squad. The NSARS movement, which recently grew in awareness across news and social media this year, has been something that has been brought to the mind of a lot of Bitcoiners as they have been helping support protesters by sending bitcoin into the country but i wanted to get a couple of people on the show to help me understand about the history of this police unit what has been happening with the protesters and how people can help if you have any questions or feedback regarding this show you can reach out to me my email address is peter at defiance.news but before we get into the interview i do need to thank my sponsor kraken the best place to buy sell and trade bitcoin consistently rated the most secure cryptocurrency exchange Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. Are you a Bitcoiner? If not, and you would like to learn more about Bitcoin, then please do check out my other show, What Bitcoin Did, which Kraken also sponsors. Bitcoin is a decentralized, peer-to-peer digital currency without any central authority. By not having any controlling party required to validate transactions, Bitcoin is both trustless and permissionless. It is an opt-out of government fuckery, and as Edward Snowden said, Bitcoin is freedom. If you want to find out more, head over to Kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Good morning and uh, welcome both of you to the show. Um, I'm really glad Alex Glastine uh, hooked us up so I could talk to you about what's happening and what's been happening in Nigeria. Um, My audience won't know you, so if we can just start by introducing yourselves and what you do and then I'll start with some of my questions.
1: Okay, yes. Yeah. So my name is Iri Aderioko. I am one of the co founders of Bycoins, which is a cryptocurrency exchange based in Nigeria. So we're sort of similar to Coinbase, but focused on the African markets. And I'm also one of the founding members of the Feminist Coalition, which is a Feminist group in Nigeria, just made up of, of about maybe like 10 to 13 women. And we're focused on trying to change things in Nigeria for women. And I would say, like, we became more popular recently in the past few months due to the whole NSARS movement, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, that's me.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, Tamiwala Shabikon, I'm head of product at Bycoins. Uh, I'm also one of the co-founders at Backlinks.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, look, I appreciate the the time you both are going to give me. Um, obviously, what's been happening in Nigeria is um, it's it's been brought to the mind of the uh, Bitcoiners. Um, I think Jack Dorsey helped with that as well. Um, I think various people are going to have uh, different levels of knowledge of what's been happening uh, with the special anti-robbery squad. So it's probably good if we if we work on a background first. Um, can can you just explain to me we'll start with you Iraq if you if you can explain to me uh, who the special anti-robbery squad are and what the background is to the issues related to who who they are
1: okay yeah so the SARS or special anti-robbery squad is sort of like a unit within the Nigerian police force and they were created quite a while ago now, I'd say it's been maybe almost like 10 years or something. And they were created at a time when there was a lot of like robbery and things like that going on. So they were created as like a special force to sort of tackle that. But the issue with them is that they have been given almost unlimited powers and unchecked powers. So it's kind of gone a bit crazy because they can essentially do whatever they like with no repercussions and we've gotten to a stage where stars themselves are seen as more of a threat to the average nigerian than actual robbers because you know they have guns they have like the power to do whatever they want and over the years people have been dissatisfied with SARS as a unit. I've been trying to get them to be disbanded and nothing really happens. Like I know in maybe like 2017, um, after our complaints, like the government would say that, okay, SARS will be reorganized or overhauled or like there'll be something happening, but nothing really happens. And it just kind of all came to a head in, I think like October of this year, where there was a lot of... um like stuff going on on social media where people are posting videos of, for example, there was a woman that was like shot in the face after um, she basically turned down the advances of one of these SARS people. And people just got, I don't know, I guess people just felt a lot and they just saw that this is something that just can't go on. And so the end SARS um, movement really like, escalated and obviously because of social media it was able to penetrate a lot more and we also started to get international um, attention so that's just kind of like the background of how the movement started.
0: Are there any issues with other units within the police force or is it just specifically this unit?
1: um it's the entire police force as a whole but i think with SARS they are just for some reason notorious and maybe seen as the worst i'm not exactly sure why but it is generally a um police as a whole or honestly it's a government as a whole um issue but people were just able to kind of focus on SARS because they have become so notorious for like i think everybody must have a story of something happening to them like related to SARS. So I think maybe they've just become the face of the the issue, but it's definitely not limited to them.
0: And these nationwide issues, or are these issues focused on specific cities?
1: Um, It's definitely a nationwide issue. Um, I think with the NSARS movement in particular, because it was, um, there was a lot of social media involved. So the cities that had more visibility were places like Lagos where there's just more people on social media but this definitely does happen across the entire country.
0: Okay that's, that's a useful background just to Tommy what can you just explain to me a little bit about the structure of the government within Nigeria the, uh, the status of the democratic vote the general kind of feeling with the government what, what is that situation within Nigeria?
2: Um, yeah sure so uh yeah, we, we have a model that is very similar to I guess uh like the US's model, right? So we operate at least what we call is a democracy, um a representative democracy. So there's the federal government, uh there is sort of the National Assembly, which is made up of the Senate and the House of Representatives. There is then the different like state governments. So Nigeria has thirty-six states and each of those states um has a governor that sort of is responsible for ensuring that everything goes smoothly in the states. Um, and then there is a federal police, but there is currently no conception of a state police or a local police. Um, however, right there is still a significant amount of power that is concentrated at the federal level, right? So, um, say for instance, a lot of the states are not economically independent units. In um, they rely very strongly on the federal government for their sustenance, right? Um, And the federal government gets a lot of its revenue by um, exporting crude oil, as an example. Uh, I think another thing to probably mention is the fact that we think really like just the points around like just like the strength of the federal government and the fact that um, a lot of the states and even the state governments tend to be at the power of the federal government a lot. Um, we, We very recently started a democracy, so that would have been 1999. Um, And, like, generally speaking, we've tended to have elections that we will not call representative of the will of of the people and very um, much so, like, not free and fair. Uh, But things have generally started changing with a couple of local elections and things along those lines. Um, And I guess just with the sense of the wave of social media, the wave of this new generation of people arising, right, there's a bit more optimism around the fact that we can really push aggressively for change. We can hold government officials accountable. We can figure out how to begin to um, make a difference um, on the micro level. So I think that's just the, the, a fair overview of like the um, internal government structure of the country.
0: And in terms of the president, and correct me if I pronounce his name incorrectly, but Muhammadu Bahari, is that correct?
2: Oh uh, Yeah, that's pretty close enough.
0: W- what kind of support does he have? Is he popular? Is he unpopular? Um so, so that tends to be uh, tricky, right? So there is generally
2: like a divide in the country, right? Um, especially just in terms of like a um ethnic north south divide, right? Where mm-hmm. um it's generally very popular in the north and um not so popular in the south. Um, and is from one of the states in the north. Um, and like one one of the really important things I think about like this census movement thing is that for a significant amount of the effort in the movement right um it was everybody like lending their voices to say um this is not sustainable this isn't good this is bad um, and something needs to be done to fix it right so like it's one of the very few times in my lifetime i think that i've seen such level of national questioning in rising up to speak against the government
0: right okay okay and um Okay, and in terms of just give me a background to what's the state of the economy in Nigeria, and how, how does it compare to uh, other African countries?
2: Um, right now, right now, well, the economy is in a recession. Uh, yeah, we have a really relatively high unemployment rate. Um, I think it's something in the region of greater than twenty percent. Um, there there tends to be a lot of like very problematic economic policy that like comes in, um, or that tends to be um, enacted. Uh, so so yeah, it's not it's not something that like for the most part, um, everyday Nigerians would be excited about. But then we still exist in a context where we are like regular average people, right? Like struggle very hard and like work very hard to feel like okay, how can I like make the best of this situation, right? Um, and sort of just because of the um. I guess the, the fear of the kind of um, violence that can be meted out, for instance, right? Um, there tends to be not a very aggressive um, pushback or things along those lines, right? Except in situations like this where like everybody feels like, okay, we are pushed to the wall and like we absolutely can't take it anymore. Um, and then you start seeing like um, all of this wave, like the kind of things that we've seen over the last couple of months
0: okay i just last couple of questions on this uh, what kind of social programs exist for those who are out of work is there any kind of social programs charity programs to help people you know find work to to be fed and also what what is the kind of level of crime how dangerous are certain parts how much criminal activity is there
2: um sure i'll, I'll touch on that and i'll see if everyone wants to add anything on that also um so in terms of the social programs um, more recently there have started being like some level of um efforts towards like ensuring their social programs. So things like trader money and just like different things like that that the government tries to put together. But then the problem ends up being that there is a lot of corruption um in all of the management of that. So like a lot of people end up like stealing all the funds for that, right? Um there tends to be like inflated figures about distribution, even in the middle of the old ENTAS thing, some of the there were warehouses that ended up being opened up where people realized that um, a lot of, and they call them palliatives, right? Like, but basically a lot of the welfare, like things like food and groceries um, that were set aside for low-income people to help them cope with the pandemic, um, they were just like locked in a warehouse um, and like not distributed, right? And like the center on this was just people trying to be corrupt and people trying to odd and people trying to not um, share those resources. Um, and so like you end up having like things like that in terms of the welfare system not actually being effective enough.
1: I would say effectively there are no um, welfare systems. It's very much a you're on your own type of situation. And yeah, although some of these do exist, as someone said, just because of the level of corruption and the fact that it's not it's not actually that available to people. It's essentially just non existent.
0: So for those uh, 20% who are unemployed, is it a case of hustling, begging or crime? Are they the the options really available to people?
1: Yeah, I would say that's accurate.
0: Okay, so um, I've been reading up on the uh, special anti robbery squad, the types of crimes that have been committed. Uh, it's actually obviously, it's, it's quite devastating, um, everything from rapes to murders. Has anyone within the squad ever been themselves prosecuted for a crime?
1: Um, Not that I am aware of. Yeah, not that I'm aware of, especially for the stuff like gender-based violence, because as a country, as a whole, there's been, like, I don't know, I think the number is 13 or something, um, rapes that have actually been prosecuted and um and somebody has been convicted for it so i think there's like a very slim chance that the um the special anti-robby sword would have been prosecuted for anything and considering the fact that i don't know just the level of corruption and the fact that they are within the system and the system does give them the powers to do what they're doing it's just very unlikely
0: okay and just another question on that is well what is the state of gender equality within nigeria and uh, the state of the, the patriarchy
1: um well there's nigeria is just in general not a great place for women there's very very little representation for women in like public office very few women can be like financially independent and just have access to like health and education we don't have like um like a gender equality bill or anything like that they're laws that are just inherently um against women so for example i don't think that any like we recognize the concept of like marital rape for example and yeah just in general and the culture in itself as well is just very um sexist so i would just say it's not a great place <laughs>
0: Okay 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 so I guess that's probably why you created the your feminist movement did you were you one of the founders of the feminist movement?
1: Yeah so I'm a, a founding member the two founders are Damalola and Odoo and they brought on the rest of us who like I said were like 13 founding members so yeah.
0: And what, what has been the goals of the movement and what kind of successes have you had?
1: so the goal for the movement was just to um i mean see what we can do to improve things in general right so we want to see how we can improve the safety of women have um make sure women have proper access to like health and education and eventually we want to see what we can do to help get more women into public office and we were founded in like july of this year and up until october what we were doing was just kind of more like planning and just figuring out how we're going to do how we're going to like actually start working so we were basically just trying to like register a non have bank accounts create our website things like that mm-hmm. but um what happened around this whole nsars movement was we just kind of saw how this issue was ultimately going to really affect women as well so we just felt like we had to do something and we didn't necessarily intend for this to be our first public project but it just kind of happened that I mean everything was happening so fast like on social media and we're just seeing oh people are starting to protest and we're just like okay what can we do to help so we just basically in like 24 hours just set up like website logo like all these forms to get people to if they want like support for a protest and they can like fill out the form and stuff so it just kind of happened basically overnight and um, we moved from there but in terms of the future we're going to be try to focus more on our like actual goal I guess because this NSARS project wasn't necessarily like what we were you know we were um, built to to do so for example just like last week we did like a christmas food drive where we were trying to um, donate some like food packs to a thousand women i think we reached and um, because around christmas there's a real problem in nigeria with food inflation so this is like one of the things that we decided to do and going forward we will try to do more um, women-focused projects
0: okay right let's get into the timeline of events so early october uh, protests began can we just um tell me what, can you explain to me how what triggered the protests who was uh, responsible for starting the protests and were there any implications for the people who were protesting um yeah sure so
2: uh i think there, there actually is not actually very clear that there was one um trigger um around Uh, I guess, like, just the initial wave of people being frustrated at the situation, right? So um, it just started, I think, with people complaining, and uh, there was this NSAS hashtag that was used. Um, And people then started realizing, like, okay, you know what what we should start doing, actually, is um, going out to protest, um, going to some of these... Um, government offices to like complain and lend our voices. Um, and then people started uh, tweeting, and as that happened, also right, like that led to um more escalation, right? Because instead of just a calm reaction from the government or even from the police force, right, you ended up having them killing like um random protesters for basically no reason. Um, and that just like, I guess strengthen the resolve around recognizing like the reality and the urgency with which we have to ensure um who are complaining about these things right um and like for the most part like more or less like all of the protesters out were being very peaceful um being very uh non-disruptive right but like time and time again right like everyone was met with um just like a lack of empathy right and a very like violent resistance. Um so yeah that that's sort of like how things started um very much at the uh early October, right? Where um it was just people um beginning to lend their voices, beginning to tweet, um and beginning to like organize um protests, going to government offices, going to stadiums and things along those lines.
0: And quite a few protesters have been killed as I believe.
2: Oh uh, yes. So I think we've had at least twelve deaths or thereabouts. Yeah, at least that we, um, that are uh, accounted for. And I think Amnesty International also, like, recognizes this.
0: And um, were these just people who were shot by the normal police or is it the SARS group?
2: Um, I think for a lot of them, they were shot by the SARS group. Um, it, it, again, with, with, with these things in Nigeria, right, like, the, the more detail you're trying to acquire about things like this, you just realize, like, it's so much other, right, because... Um, there's a lot of like bureaucratic efforts um, to protect things and ensure there isn't any transparency. Um, but yeah, I think um, the, the SARS group was the primary, uh, were the primary folks who are responsible for like most of these murders.
0: Okay. And so has so what has the government response been to date? And has, the, has SARS officially been disbanded? I know it, they've said they've been disbanded, but has it actually been disbanded?
2: So the, the government's response initially was just sort of like ignoring things, right? And like you just still have like this rogue um, operatives, right? And things along those lines. Um, and then after a while, right, like the government decided like, okay, you know what? We're going to make the claim that we're disbanding the SAS group, right? But then there wasn't, initially there wasn't any communication around or oh, what the, movement forward was right because as part of the things that people were beginning to demand with the protest right it was just a recognition of the fact that okay if you're going to have this group disbanded you need to also provide a framework and answer for what you're going to do right and you need to start um thinking about broader scale police reform and things along those lines um and initially like there wasn't any of that it was just what seemed to us like um a very superficial um response um, and then shortly after, I think like a day or two after, they said the SARS group was going to be replaced by yet another group, right? So it looked like they were just making a very cosmetic. Um, we're going to change the name um, of the, We're going to change the name of the problem. Um, kind of response, um, and so because of that, like again, like we weren't giving in, and like people just kept um, pushing even more because what we really were looking for was real change.
0: Yeah, so I've got noted five demands from protesters. The first was the immediate release of those arrested, uh, compensation based on those who were killed, uh, an independent body to review police conduct, um, psychological assessment and retraining of SARS operatives, and an adequate increase in salary for the Nigerian police. So uh, I'm specifically going to come back to the fifth one uh, in a short while, but do we know if any of these have actually been met?
1: Um, so essentially not. <laughs> okay. in terms of like release of the protesters, to my knowledge, nobody was just released without the effort of um, legal aid. So one of the things that we helped start in the feminist coalition was um, this legal aid network. So we just got a group of lawyers that were willing to try and work on, Releasing protesters pro bono. And um, so, to my knowledge, besides people who were released through the efforts of these lawyers, nobody was released. In terms of justice for victims, that wasn't um, done either because till today, there's still some, like, not acknowledgement of what happened. Like, they still don't say that, oh, what happened on. Um, October 20th, which is now known as, like, the Lucky Massacre, they still sort of deny exactly what happened there. So they're not really saying... They're not even accepting what happened, so there can't really be the justice there yet. Then in terms of the judicial panels or... Yeah, the judicial panels. So I think there's maybe, like, 10 or something states that have set this up, and they have sort of been... I don't know, they have sort of been doing things, but we haven't really seen the um, results of it yet. And I know that there was a point like a couple of weeks ago where I can't remember what happened, but the government or maybe the police had tried to stop um, the judicial panels from going on because they were saying like, oh no, this is a federal thing. So states aren't allowed to do these inquiries, but then they rescinded this maybe a few days later. So it's still a bit, um, I guess, shady, I would say. And yeah, there's just been no like evaluation or retraining of um, the police officers in any way. And um, the last one, I don't think there's been any move to increase the salaries of anyone.
0: Well, yeah, specifically what I wanted to ask with regard to that. I guess the desire to increase the salaries one to to incentivize a higher quality of uh, recruitment, but also I guess it, it, you you must let me know. But are the salaries so low that that um, that's leading to more corruption within the police?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say that. That last um, one was a bit of a controversial one because people were saying, oh, why do you want to then increase the salary of the people that are doing this? But part of the reason that they are doing all these horrible things, I believe anyway, is partly because they are paid so little. So it's like they have no no other options. And I think that's just... um, it's the kind of the country as a whole there's so much corruption there's so much like um robbery and things and that's just mainly because people are so poor so um yeah i think that is the idea behind it that they should be paid properly so that they would no longer have to resort to this but at the same time it kind of has to go both ways because they also have to show that like they are willing to um they're willing to like act properly. Right. And people also bring up the argument of, well, I don't know, teachers are also paid very poorly. Like everyone is paid really poorly, but that doesn't mean that you should like go to these lengths. But I think it's the combination of them being so underpaid and then them also having this like immense power. So they just are able to do all these horrible things.
0: And weapons.
1: Exactly. They have guns. Teachers don't have guns.
0: (laughs) Teachers don't have guns. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is there any effective political opposition that is applying pressure to the government? Um,
2: yeah, so yeah, I think, I can't remember who as the codes, uh, maybe it's Malcolm X, sort of like, um, you have two oppressors, or you have one oppressor, like it's just two different names. Um, yeah, that like is very applicable, yeah. Um, we, there isn't really any strong sense of opposition. Um, one of the... Like Nigerian politics is really weird, right? Because like it's all just one very big cabal. And like sometimes they're friendly, sometimes they fight each other. Right. Like so like that's the essence of like what happens. Um like people change parties a lot. There isn't anything that strongly defines anybody as being a part of any one party. Um there isn't any fidelity to like any ideological positions, right? None of those things, right? Um it's really just for the most part like a power play, right? And for the most part, Um, just the thing of like what aligns best with the politician's interest at any point in time. Um, so 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 you end up having a situation where even now, right? Uh, like what would end up being like the opposition party does not really like speak out much because one, when they were in power recently, they did the same thing. If they're in power, they're going to do the same thing. Um, there are probably a bunch of them who are very corrupt and are worried that the government is going to press charges against them if they are. Start speaking up, right? Um, like, for the most part, right? Like, with, with a lot of these just elites, right? They are very, very far removed from the reality of the everyday situation in the country. They are very removed from the reality of the pain and suffering of the citizenry. So, like, they, they don't care that much. Yeah, maybe once in a while they might tweet something that might sound like a condemnation, right? But there isn't any full support right and like the the thing also about this is like it gets very tricky right because for a lot of the citizens also we generally would want to distance ourselves from making some of this political right because the moment it starts becoming political then there starts being allegations of disruption of government and all sorts of like really weird authoritarian claims like that But, but yeah there is there is no sense of like an opposition that is willing to support the activist movement
0: okay okay so next thing i just want to understand is um a little bit about if we go back to your era if can we talk about when the feminist movements first start to get involved and specifically can you start to explain to me what happened the strange things with regards to the banking your banking situation where payments started to slow down
1: Uh, yeah sure so when we first started fundraising we were using um, Flutterwave so Flutterwave is sort of like stripe I guess it's a payment processor you can just put up like a payment page and anyone can pay into it and um, one of the great things about them is that they accept cards like from all different types of places so we could get international people also um, donating to us and we also had a bank account in Nigeria that um, people could just pay directly into because a lot of people in general in Nigeria are used to just doing like direct bank transfers so that was working for us for a few days but then we just started noticing there were issues like paying out of our bank account for example or people trying to transfer to us it was just getting reversed and issues like that and then at some points our Flutterwave page just sort of like went down for, I guess, quote, unquote, maintenance. And um, till today, it basically just like never came back up. (laughs) So um, and we saw that a lot of people were also having kind of similar issues. So other people that were also doing fundraising because we were definitely not the only people fundraising around this effort and people who are like donating to us were finding that they were unable to like just use their bank accounts for whatever they would normally be doing for so we kind of quickly realized that we would have to um use a different method and just because of the nature of the work that like we are in as like people working in crypto we just thought okay well this has to be the option that we would use so eventually after a few days we actually had to just rely on uh, accepting donations through bitcoin only because at a certain point literally nothing else was working for anyone so we had to have people um send money to at first we were just using like a bitcoin address that anyone could send Bitcoin too but we then moved to using a BTC pay server because that was just a better experience and it ultimately worked better for us because we were able to then control when we would want to like stop taking donations for example because I think till today we might still get the odd amounts like sent to that random Bitcoin wallet address so it was good that we switched to BTC pay because it was easier to like then stop accepting donations
0: um, The government's denied any interference with this, right?
1: Yeah, so I think... um Maybe about a month ago, uh, the Central Bank of Nigeria came out to say that I think there was a list of 10 people they said that they had ordered restrictions on their accounts for, but ours wasn't on that list. And we know that there was definitely way more than those 10 people. So they technically have not come out to say what happened. So,
0: yeah. Well, OK, I guess we don't believe them. Um <laughs> yeah. Okay. So obviously Bitcoin has been a great help during this. And um, before we get into that, Nigeria has been a bit of a success story for cryptocurrencies as I understand. Oh yes. Is, is there a good general understanding of Bitcoin, how it works, how it's useful? Um
2: somewhat so, right so, so I guess in in certain circles, especially people who are pushing for the adoption. Um, there is a good understanding, at least, like, at a technical level. Um, for a lot of people, there is an understanding just in the sense of what it can do, right? Like, just that decentralized, permissionless um, property. Um, and then for a lot of people, right, it's just, like, they just know to use it, right? Like, it doesn't necessarily, it's just, like, another another means of um, paying for something, right? Or another means of... Uh, doing something or another means for storing value and things along those lines um so yeah you end up having like a gradation um but i think um increasingly so especially over the last one or two years um the usage and interest has become a lot more widespread and mainstream um but yeah i think that's just like the state of it right now
0: Okay, Um, is there any specific infrastructure issues that Nigeria has with adoption? So I went out to the border of Venezuela and Colombia, and a couple of specific issues is that some people didn't have, not everyone had a phone, some people did have phone, didn't have to say data connections. So that was a problem with them being able to use uh, Bitcoin. Do you have any specific specific infrastructure issues within Nigeria?
2: Um, I wouldn't say there are... Yeah, I would also say there are specific infrastructure issues within Nigeria that are slowing down adoption, right? Um, so, again, the, I, I think the, the kind of problems that we end up having um, with respect to getting mainstream adoption will be things that you see almost anywhere else in the world, right? So, simply the fact that um, we need to think a bit more about, say, Bitcoin scaling, right? and um, Like, maybe transaction fees and improving onboarding UX. Um, and a bit more of education, right? So like, just like the kind of standard problems you'll see almost in any part of the world. Um, I think one of the big things is Nigerians are very entrepreneurial, right? And like, they're always willing to like, um, take risks or like adopt new things and things along those lines. Um, and so like a lot of the adoption, right? Like people have been willing to sort of bend over backwards to ensure that, okay, if this is useful to solve my own specific problem, um, I will try to figure it out, right? Um, or like say, for instance, like just thinking of Bitcoin as like a stock value, right? A lot of people are increasingly able and willing to like just do things like that simply because even though like it translates to them as, oh, like if I put my money here, it's going to increase, right? So like just like a very, I guess, crude sense of thinking about it, but it's still something that people are very, very interested and willing in engaging with. So like the, the kind of problems that we end up having are just the problems that you'll find almost anywhere else in the world, at least with respect to adoption.
0: And has the government um, put, put in place any kind of onerous regulations or are they quite open to allowing the industry flourish?
2: Um, so the, the, the government hasn't put any um, serious regulation, right? So for the most part, it's just been um, taking a step back and I guess like watching how things play out. Um, there's also probably like a limited understanding of exactly what it is they'll be clamping down on right and things like that so like there's quite a knowledge gap and then even though there are just like instances where like there are forces in the government that still care a bit more about things like internet banking and like getting giving a lot more people access to or uh, i guess just like financial literacy and things along those lines so i guess there are instances where like because of those like forces that still um push things internally or uh, there are they end up being like non-problematic regulation yet, but then like there is obviously still always the concern that um, as we as we end up having a lot more, I guess use cases like say or just like this financial freedom way of speaking against the government, right, and like taking a stance to say um, we are demanding for our rights and whatnot. Um, there's there's sort of like potential concern that okay, like people might begin to paint very biased narratives around what people are doing um but generally like the, the state right now is um there isn't quite a lot of regulation and uh, like there's probably like quite a bit of knowledge gap
0: okay i guess um i'm just looking now at the chart but nigeria has had quite heavy inflation for the last 20 years apart from like uh 2007 where it seemed to dip just above five percent which would by the way be considered high in the uk but mm-hmm. it seems to range between like eight and you know and kind of 16%, which is obviously quite high. What are the implications on that? It, it Does this cause real pro- problems, like real noticeable problems for people? Yeah, so
2: um, I'll, I'll touch a bit on this, and I think um, you're all sort of talking a bit about, like, some of the food inflation things, so she might add to that also. Um, yeah, so, like, right now, I think this area has, like, double-digit inflation, right? Um, and, like, this causes, like, a lot of problems, right? It causes problems with the foreign exchange, Um, If people want to say important things for their businesses, um, if people even in the middle class want to order things that are not available in the country, um, even at the sort of like lower income level where people are trying to have access to food, um, food prices have skyrocketed significantly this year. Um, Rent prices have significantly increased. So like you end up seeing like that problem, (laughs) like, that problem like just get applied across board um and like we and, and as we mentioned earlier right there isn't any sense of a welfare system or like a, a strong welfare program or anything along those lines um so people just end up being very desperate and end up living um below the poverty line i think like we have like probably more than half the population living below the poverty line. Um and, like this is particularly worsened, right? When you think about the fact that I think the median age in Nigeria is about 18. So like it's just like a whole lot of relatively young people who should ordinarily have very bright futures um, being at the mercy of um this kind of like economic um failure.
0: Right. Okay. So is this NSARS movement, is it is there wider issues that are being addressed as well I did read something that said there are some kind of like wider issues with youth population, with wealth disparity, with opportunity, Uh, are these kind of all being blurred together?
1: Yeah, I think I would say so, yeah, because I don't know, I think people, this sort of just awakened in people just the general dissatisfaction with how the country is being run as a whole. and. I think to a lot of people, I think why it resonated so well with them because they realized it really isn't just about SARS. Like I think Tomuwa mentioned the whole issue with the palliatives and how um, governors and representatives were essentially just hoarding this food that was meant to be distributed to people to help with um, not being able to work due to COVID and all of that. So it's definitely a wider issue and, um, I think that also contributed to why it was a bit difficult to sort of pin down and say what exactly are our demands, right? Because even though we did have that, oh, our five demands, five for five thing that came out, and I'm not even exactly sure where it came from. I think everyone was just a bit like, they just want change, and... um, people didn't necessarily know how they wanted that change to come about but they just knew that they were generally dissatisfied with everything like i even remember when i was at um the protest here in london um when this was the day that sars was quote unquote like disbanded Cause we were were at the protest and someone start, started saying on the speakerphone, oh, SARS has been deban- disbanded. And then everyone sort of like celebrated for a little bit. And then they went back and started chanting, okay, well, like, Buhari must go now. Because <laughs> there's always like another thing, because it really just isn't, it's not just about SARS, it's about the, the government as a whole.
0: Yeah, I mean, corruption, obviously a very big issue across um, Africa, but I'm looking specifically at Nigeria. Yeah, you've talked about corruption. I'm seeing here it's ranked 146 out of 180 countries. Let's so just see when this article's from. Uh, this is from January of this year. Has there been anything done to address corruption? And also, like systemically, why do you think there is such an issue with corru- corruption?
2: Yeah. So I think you would you would probably like think of corruption as so. Okay. So so I think the the really bad manner in which corruption manifests, right, is sort of at the government level, right? Um, So you end up having uh, all of these really powerful politicians who like, order a lot of financial resources, right? Or like, take it to Swiss bank accounts and things along those lines. All right, and, and, and like, I think like, it's one of the things to be, um, I guess to be mindful of in like, articulating the problem of corruption in Nigeria, right? So like, a lot of times when it's articulated outside Nigeria, it looks more like corruption by, average individual regular individuals or like regular citizens um especially like in the face of like um trying to exploit people outside the, co- the country and whatnot and that actually tends to not be like that serious of a problem right like the numbers are like relatively low right like when you look at it um in the global context but the problem we really end up having that we have to grapple with is this problem around um politicians just um stealing a lot of money right and like not caring about the effect on the citizens and like we've had periods where some head of state will um start up a commission and say we're going to clamp down on all of these corrupt people and things along those lines um but what you end up realizing is it's mostly like a political tool right so they're just using it to pick out political opponents and um just like fight them right or like pick out political opponents and uh like jail them and things along those lines. um, like, there isn't li- really any like widespread systemic care to change things. um, And like, in, in terms of like the reason, like there's no reason, like people still simply because they can and there is no repercussion, right? And because they have the power to do it, right? So um, there isn't any, there, there's no like depth to it or anything along those lines. The, the kind of sums that you end up seeing and hearing like a lot of these politicians still, um, it, it's like it's just untenable, right? Especially for like the kind of numbers that we have in terms of inflation, in terms of um, people living below the poverty line and whatnot. Um, And even to the extent that like you end up having, uh, I guess, regular citizens who might be a part of like this corrupt system, right, there is still like a lot of it that comes from just people at the top in the government levels putting a lot of pressure on them uh, and, like, almost forcing them to exploit, right? So, like, w- one of the big things that we've, we even learned over the last, say, couple of months in terms of the police crisis is that um, even for, like, a lot of the people that you end up seeing on the streets who are part of this, like, entire brisk world, um there's a lot of pressure from, like, police leadership um, for them to actually, like, keep doing this, right? Because they somehow need to, like, pay up money back to the top or like back to the leadership right in terms of like the amount of money they're able to take and exploit from regular people so like you end up having problems like that where fundamentally like it's just a thing around the broken state of leadership and like there isn't anyone doing anything at least anyone in the government like really doing anything to actually cause any form of systemic change
0: okay Okay, let's talk about how Bitcoin's helped. Where specifically is it you've been wanting to direct funds and and how has Bitcoin been helping with your campaign?
1: Yeah, so the way we were um, operating was that um, people who were organizing peaceful protests around the country could apply to us um, for funding for just basic necessities, like if they needed food or like masks and hand sanitizers, water, that kind of thing. So they would just like um, fill out a Google form and give us like their bank account details. So we would need to be like paying them in naira like just through direct bank transfers and so with the fundraising obviously with us raising money in bitcoin we had to also find a way to then convert that bitcoin into naira and that's where it really helped that we actually own an exchange (laughs) so it was a lot um easier for us than i guess if we tried to do this maybe like a year or two ago to convert that bitcoin into naira where we can then be just like sent through um like ba- regular bank accounts because although like bitcoin is becoming a bit more popular it wasn't going to, it wasn't like that um feasible to be sending the bitcoin directly to the people who needed the money because then they would then have to have the infrastructure to convert it into naira because obviously they would be spending it in naira
0: yeah what's the infrastructure like for people to be able to accept and convert bitcoin into the local currency
1: um so not there's not that much i mean tomu can talk about i guess our exchange but in general it's i wouldn't say it's that easy to um go from bitcoin to naira except through basically our exchange <laughs> but tomorrow can talk about that more
2: yeah yeah yeah. sure yeah so i think yeah like, like you, you already mentioned right like things are much better right? like simply because of like the kind of experience that we've built right um say versus like say two three years ago but generally speaking right for like regular people who one maybe they're not that informed about bitcoin right or like they don't necessarily uh they're not necessarily aware of say our exchange for instance um there's still like quite a bit of friction um there's still also like quite a bit of friction just thinking about like micro transactions right so right now it's cost about like 11 million nigerian naira and like naira is like local fiat to be able to uh, buy one bitcoin, right? Um and like if you wanted to buy a meal, right, you could do that for uh, some. Sorry, like just to so
0: interrupt. what what's what's the um what's that in dollars? Like is there a premium in Nigeria? Um
2: no no actually no not there isn't um a premium. It's very, very like prices in Nigeria are very very strongly like mirror um global prices. So that eleven million Naira is something like 23, 20, 24 thousand dollars a year about okay. yeah exactly. Um and so you end up However, right, like if you wanted to say, maybe like buy a meal, right? You could buy a meal for something like, say, 8,000 Naira to 1,500 Naira, right? And like, that'll be like a really balanced diet. um, And like that ends up being something like three or four dollars, right? So you can't really like pay for that, like over like um, layer one Bitcoin right now, right? Because then like the transaction fees might end up being something like that, right? Depending on how um congested the network is. And like, that's one of the things that we've been really excited about, right, because it's okay, it's very clear to us that, okay, these use cases exist, it's very clear to us, like, the kind of um political economic freedom you're able to get, right, but, like, at the point where we start saying, like, you sort of, like, want to push for a lot more, like, building out, like, all of the infra and, like, all of the I guess, improvements that we sort of like expect that like say um, Bitcoin will end up having over the next couple of years. So like say something like if we end up ended up having like just very great UX that was built for people to access the Lightning Network, then we would end up realizing that, okay, like it's maybe a bit more feasible for people to end up on um, paying at that level, right? So like you, you sort of want to remove a lot of even still the dependence on fiat, right? Because over time, we are going to end up having situations where um, more and more, right, like these clampdowns from governments like keep right? And like there is next to no way to like interface with the fiat system um, if you truly want to like start um, a peaceful resistance or if you want to um, have protests at scale, right? Or if you want to accept, say, micro donations and things along those lines. And those are all things that like there's still like quite a bit of friction around today. Right and like 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 you mentioned right? like one one of the things we like spend a lot of time doing is thinking about one um how do we ensure that all of this onboarding UX can be so much better for people in the country right and two how can we ensure that um, we are very strongly like making the case for like the very strong need of things along those lines right because um it's not. Like, like I, I guess it's safe to say, like, over the last two months, right, I have stopped thinking of Bitcoin really as just, like, oh, um, we're going to the moon, right? And, like, just really the very reality of the fact that um people's lives are at stake, um literally people's lives are at stake, um depending on whether or not they have access to just a couple 10,000, 100,000 Satoshis.
0: Right, interesting. Okay, It's that's quite interesting because you're also, therefore, considering... You're taking a, you can consider in quite a bit the future, you're expecting situations where you will need Bitcoin and and the the problems that actually exist within uh the infrastructure in terms of like Lightning network. Because like you say, if it's um you know if a meal's three dollars and the uh the network is congested, you could pay you essentially uh throwing a meal away in terms of network fees. Have you been able to therefore uh, donate Satoshis to people in Lightning? Have people been downloading Lightning wallets?
2: um no not yet um so th- that's like the next level of things that i think um we- we've been internally thinking a lot about right which is okay um how do we want ensure that we have all of the infra that is well integrated to our exchange um how do we ensure that we encourage a lot more people to begin to like get Lightning like a network um wallets and like think about okay how can we do transfers and things like that um just like on, on like a personal level right like because um, we're all technical, right? like those are things that we've played around with and like we do internally with ourselves, right? Or like you, if there are people outside the country that we're just like running experiments with and whatnot. Um, but then just in terms of like the adoption internally, like that's still not something that has happened yet.
0: Okay. So what is the current status of both the protests and your campaign? What is, Where are we at right now today?
1: Yeah, so in terms of the protests, so basically after um, October 20th, uh, the Lekki Massacre, where the Nigerian army essentially just opened fire on peaceful protesters, um, mm. things died down a lot because people realised that it was just not going to be safe for them and we can't necessarily fight against the literal army with guns.
0: And so, is, this when the, curfew, extent- is this when the curfew was put in place as well?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah so um around that time so people sort of moved the protest online to some extent and I think what basically happened after that because it was such an extreme moment and for a lot of people I feel like it really broke them in a sense um I think what we just realized is that we need to think about this a lot more long-term. This is probably one of the most successful protests that has ever occurred, really. Protests usually don't even last as long as they did. And we did make a lot of progress in that sense. But I think what we also realized was that We just need to play the long game we need to be more focused on what we can do to change the system because just coming at it as a protest just really wasn't going to work for us so that's why i would say in terms of like physical protest, that's not happening people still do things online but it's not as intense as it was before and people are just trying to see what they can do to Like votes, so like for example, everyone now is way more focused on getting their permanent voters card and just being a lot more aware of just the government as an institution and what they can actually do to affect change that way.
0: Right. Um, Okay. So, how can people help then? If people are listening to this, like, what help do you need?
1: Yeah, that's a difficult. That's a difficult one because, in terms of, like I said, the active protests are no longer going on. Um, even us, as like feminist coalition, we've stopped like accepting. Um, we're not like fundraising anymore or anything like that but i think um what is useful for us is um just the international awareness and the um because i think that's something that the governments they like for example they (laughs) when cnn put up the whole um their investigative report they were saying oh they're going to go and sue cnn or something but i think that kind of like Um, international awareness really does legitimize what we're going through because at this point the government is still sort of like gaslighting us and saying things didn't happen or there was um, this DJ, her name is DJ Switch, on the night of the lucky massacre, she was doing an Instagram live and actually essentially showing everything that was happening. And the government was saying, oh, like the Instagram live, the Instagram live was photoshopped or something. And it's just kind of like, okay, that's just completely ridiculous. But that's just the level of gaslighting and just the level of like, they're not even attempting to take responsibility for what happened. So I think people abroad just, um, putting more pressure and just saying, okay, this actually did happen. That is what I would say can be helpful. But I don't know if Tamua has any other, um, suggestions.
2: Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty fair. Right. Like, like you mentioned, like just this entire, um, applying pressure and like, um, asking for accountability, right? Like that that tends to be like one of the few things that the government is able to respond to. I think the other, the other thing I was just going to mention also is, um, I know there are a lot of groups right now that are talking a lot about um organizing political activism and things along those lines. Um, so like probably over time, those groups will start um talking a bit more around fundraising and whatnot. Um, and in that sense, like that will end up being useful, right? So I, I don't know that there is anyone um actively um aggressively like raising money now um but like as time com- um, goes on like that's going to be something that's various or right? like i think we're able to see the amount of money raised what a couple hundred thousand dollars and just like um at least like trout like the protest and like the kind of the level of impact um that you're able to like make with that kind of money right i mean so i think having a lot of that happen, right? Like when all of these groups start um coming out a lot more um and start figuring out, okay, what is the execution around the strategy and whatnot that we have, um, that's also going to be useful. Um, but but, but yeah, like just again, yeah, a lot of it just international exposure and awareness and just um support and talking about these things, I think is um one of the really big things that we can continue having.
0: I guess also this is a, a bit like what happened in Belarus. This is a case study for um, uh, you know government uh, protests around the world. How Bitcoin can help support protesters. I guess that's something that's also important.
2: Yep. 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 Yeah. Exactly. And 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 I guess um, on chain on chain scaling and privacy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you wish I had, or any additional messages you want to get out there before we close out?
1: Not that I can think of right now.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure um,
2: anything um, particularly comes to mind here also. Yeah, I think you've done a good job of touching on most of it.
0: Well, fantastic. Look, I appreciate you both coming on. Uh, it's obviously a very important topic. Um, I wish the best to all friends and family you have out in Nigeria at the moment. And so, look, stay in touch. If I can ever help, um, you have my details. Reach out and more than willing to do anything I can to support what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Defiance. I do hope you found this interview useful and I do want to say a massive thanks to Ira and Tommy Wild for coming on and giving me some perspective of what is going on in Nigeria and specifically related to the NSARS movement. Please do check out the show notes to find out more about what is happening there and also we are coming to the end of the year this is the final show for defiance in 2020 so a big thanks to everybody who has supported the show we've done a lot of interesting new things this year we changed the direction of what we're doing with defiance we've got big plans for 2021 lots of cool show ideas coming up so i'm excited to get some of those out and get them in front of you anyway just before we head out i do want to thank my sponsor kraken the best place to buy sell and trade bitcoin consistently rated the most secure cryptocurrency exchange Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, if you want to support the show, please do leave a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show. You can follow me on social media and you can share the show out with your friends and family. I hope you have a great new year and I'll see you all in 2021.